Good morning, church. I want to thank you for joining us this morning in our online Sunday worship service. My name is Russ Murdoch, Jr., and I serve as one of the evangelists here in the great New York City Church of Christ in the Garden State region in New Jersey. My wife, Sari Murdoch, serves as a women's ministry leader in our women's ministry. Now, we've been here for 30 years this September. 20 of them have been in the ministry. And it's a joy to see the way that God has worked in spite of being in the same place for 30 years. You know, it's been great to see people born spiritually and physically and to watch them grow and to mature. You know, just yesterday, we witnessed a couple be married, Dimitri and Sarah. Joseph have now become one. And it was a special day, and I want to say to them, welcome to the promised land. You know, another piece of good news is, is seeing dreams become reality. You know, many of us hope to see our children turn to God and follow in Jesus' footsteps and begin family and go on and, and do the things that God has in store for them. You know, recently our teen ministry has been on fire and uh, it has been so encouraging to seeing consistently young men and women coming to know Jesus and making him Lord. In this picture here I took in 2004, I remember taking the picture and saying, look at our future, our future team ministry, our future campus ministry. And boy, God has recently answered some of those long awaited prayers. And so you see here in this picture, this is Kobe and Jason McGaney at our father's son retreat in 2013. And here in this next picture. May 20th, uh, May 2020, Kobe being baptized by Nikki and Jason McGaney. You know, after that great day and victory, I asked Kobe after his baptism, I asked him a few days later, what, what clicked for you and made you decide to follow in Jesus' footsteps and make him Lord of your life? And here's what he had to say. Um, one of the things I was recently asked is what clicked for me. 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying his power. And that was definitely me. Definitely me. Going to church every day, going to midweek, going to, um, I don't know, Solid Rock, being at people's weddings, Mr. Koya. You know, um, I was at church all the time. Like, I was always at church. But I, was always, I would always end up trying to draw positive energy from negative sources. It showed me how Jesus did not look at the outward appearance, but inside my heart. And that is the true power of God. Here it says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And despite being who I was, Chris was still my friend. Despite who I was, Jesus still died for me on the cross. And that is really the true power of God. So uh, I want to thank you guys for letting me share today, and I'm out. You know, I love the part that he shared. 
that Jesus is the true power of God. I know we know this, but church, Jesus is our hope. You know, when I look in the world, I see hopelessness. I see divorce. I see addiction. I see immorality. I see hostility, corruption, police brutality, systemic racism built to keep the black man down. Does the world have a lot of hope in it? I don't think so. But the Bible holds out a hope that lasts for eternity. Turn you with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. Chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. The Bible reads, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Hope gives us the strength to go forward and to tackle the future. And I love what this passage teaches because hope produces something in us. Hope produces inexpressible, glorious joy, knowing we have received the goal, purpose, an eternal relationship with God, and most of salvation. You know, in the midst of our current climate, Sometimes I can forget about the hope held out to me by God. Let's not forget the hope held out to us by our Father in heaven. And for those of us that don't know that hope, I encourage you to study the Bible and get to know this hope, this real hope, this hope that does not fade, this hope that, that, that does not spoil, this hope. That does not diminish. Let me ask you a question. Do you have. Like Peter had. A living. Hope. Do you have. A living. Hope. Because guess what church. Jesus is our hope. And he is. 
alive and he is here and he is with us. You got to think about Peter. He witnessed Jesus rise from the dead. He witnessed Jesus come out of that tomb. Not literally, but they knew, he knew that he was there. But he literally rose from the dead and came back and eventually met Peter when he had gone back to fishing. And he restored him and reminded him of this incredible plan that he had for his life. Jesus has the power over death, hell, and the grave. Jesus gave hope to a man who had betrayed him, turned his back on him. But because of Jesus, Peter didn't stay there. Peter believed what Jesus said, and he grabbed hold of Jesus' promise, and he carried that living hope on to be a great leader in God's church in the first century. You know, the Bible teaches us in verse 6, look at what Peter says. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter wanted us to remember church like he reminded that first century church who were going through terrible, tough persecution. That Jesus is going to be with us through and through. And that what he did and how he faced opposition in the world and overcame it, you and I can do the same thing. You know, church, trials bring on grief of many kinds. And right now, there's a lot of grieving going on. Some of us are mourning the death of loved ones lost to the coronavirus. Sarah and I had a grief counseling appointment with a woman today who didn't get a chance to say goodbye to her grandmother and felt terrible that she died alone and she couldn't be there. And Satan has been using that to just make her feel terrible. Some of us are suffering from the continual examples of police brutality. Let's just call it what it is, murder from a society that is built on systemic racism. And we are wondering how long is this going to continue? Some of us are afraid. And some of us who are black disciples are afraid that our spouses or our kids may go out the door and that may be the last time we see them. Because they may not come back home alive. And that's literally in the back of our minds. And then some of us are feeling frustrated. Some of us are feeling annoyed and a bit irritated. Because we hear things like, you don't get it. Or you need to get woke. Hey, you need to read this. You need to read that. You know, as I think about all of these different places that we could be coming from, 
we got to continue, church, to remember we're in this together. And we got to, more than anything, continue to focus on Jesus so that we don't get defensive or that we don't start biting and devouring one another. You know, I feel sad, afraid, worried, anxious, mad, and excited at times. Because, see, we're in a battle and I'm trying to process things. And then, bam, another thing's happen. Another thing happens. And I'm watching a, a, another clip of Mr. Brooks down in Atlanta being shot in the back. And I just can't believe how in the world does this happen and continue to keep happening? You know, I'm worried about my daughter at times. Driving home from work, going through certain towns. Is she going to be safe? I'm even thinking about my son and how he dresses as he leaves the house. Because there's certain stereotypes with young African men. Based on how they dress. But you know, the thing that makes me mad most of all. Is that Satan is scheming and working to divide and conquer. Because he's got the world, but he's trying to infiltrate the church. He's trying to create disunity and distrust and suspicion. And you and I got to be on guard. And we have to stay aware that our battle is not with flesh and blood. But it's with our battle is not with flesh and blood, but it's the power of dominion in this dark world. Well, Rush, you said you're excited. What are you excited about? What is there to be excited about in this climate? Well, here's what I'm excited about. When I go back to the scriptures, Psalm 23, verse four. David is writing and he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David, as a shepherd, is writing about his trek to the mountaintop where the lush green grass resides for his sheep to eat and flourish. Church, every mountain has its valley. And the best route to the top is always along these valleys. See, church, God is taking us right now through the valley. And he does not say, I take them there to die in the valley or to stop in the valley. But rather, I walk through the valley because I know who's with me and I know who's guiding me. You know, as Christians, death is not the end for us. In fact, it's actually the beginning for us. And as a child of God, these valleys do not need to be a dead-end street. 
the disappointments, the frustrations, the discouragements, the dilemmas, these difficult days and years, though be shadowed valleys, do not need to be disasters. They can be the road to higher ground in our walk with God. They can be higher ground in our walks with one another. They can be higher ground for our families, in our communities. But part of it is how we keep, how we see it, and how we continue to view things. Last week, one of my cousins organized a march in Somerville, New Jersey. Asked my daughter to come and sing a song that she wrote. There were over 700 people there and mostly, I'd say mostly white people. Blair performed a song and then Sari, her and I all marched and we walked down to one of the main highways in that area, Route 22. And we got down on our knees for eight minutes and 45, 46 seconds. And while on my knee, I just thought about what happened to George Floyd. And I looked around and I saw all of the people that were kneeling. And everybody was quiet. And it was such an emotional, moving event that it moved my heart. We begin to have conversations with people, sharing our faith, asking them what they thought would be the way that this world and that we could see systemic racism crumble. And it was amazing the answers that people gave. But it made me think about the church. It made me think about, wow, I do know a place that's different, that looks different. And it made me believe, boy, we have got to understand what God's given us. Because some people are more open than they've ever been. And church, we have got to be more unified on the inside and not just look like it on the outside. We can truly be the light of the world that Jesus calls us to be, but we got to make sure that Jesus is our hope. Back to 1 Peter, verse 8. Well, how can we be the hope, you might ask? It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You know, I was wondering, what, what is he saying here? God is invisible. <laughs> we can't see God. We can't audibly hear God. We can't grab him. But yet we believe. But it's because of our faith. We don't live by what we see. We live by faith. We trust his way. We trust the Bible. And we decide we're not taking matters into our own hands or leaning on our own understanding. We got to continue to learn from Jesus like he tells us in Matthew 11. 
But you know, church, I want to I want to encourage us here in Matthew chapter nine. I think a great illustration of how Jesus saw things and in how he acted. Verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus was filled with compassion and vision. When he looked out and he saw the harassed and helpless, he told the disciples, the harvest is plentiful. In other words, yeah, people are hurting and suffering, but this is an opportunity for us to do something. This is an opportunity for us to meet needs. This is an opportunity for us to love and help people find the good shepherd. Vision. You know, practically, how do I have vision? I believe it starts with prayer. Practically, ask God to help you see what you don't see or understand. Pray, Lord, open the eyes of my heart so I can see clearly. Open the eyes of my heart so I can see truth. Because, you know, we can't argue with the truth. Secondly, after we identify the truth, What's the next step to be taken, Lord? What direction do I need to go in? Now, in regards to compassion, I believe we need to ask God to fill us with compassion. I know what makes me compassionate is when I see needs. I want to help people the way that I've been helped. I want to help people in their marriage. I want to help people in their parenting. I want to help people with their purity. I want to help people with their faith. But I've been helped in so many ways that all I want to do is give to someone else the way I was freely given to. See, compassion is not a feeling, but instead it's a word that underscores action, movement. The Good Samaritan didn't just put the injured guy on his horse. I mean, you know the story. Action. Compassion moves us to action. As the, ask the Lord to help you feel what others feel. Ask the Lord to help you so that you can absorb. And this is not easy. But I want to absorb. I want to feel what you're feeling. So that I can be there. That I can relate. Or that I can comfort someone. Now I saw this. Advertisement. Where people were looking. To ask people. If they would call up an elderly person. In New York City and just talk to them for 10 minutes. And I thought, wow. 
People are hurting right now and they need compassion. Church, we're in an, we are in a perfect opportunity to do some good. I want you to look at this last photo. This is a great illustration to me of what happens when someone is filled with vision and compassion. My dear brother Jason McGaney is married brother, two teenage boys, and he's a teen worker in the Garden State Church. He, along with a few other brothers, are working together with our young teenage boys, and they're doing a phenomenal job. He works nights from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m., and after he gets off work, he's been studying the Bible with a lot of the young boys in our team ministry. Because of his vision and his compassion, in the last 24 months, 12 of them have become disciples of Jesus Christ. And we know it's about God. And I, you know, I love Jason. He's like, hey, I'm just here to plant and water and God's going to make it grow. Well, God has been making it grow in an amazing way. But, you know, it's funny. This little story didn't start just recently. See, Jason was their teen worker. I'm sorry, their preteen young teen camp counselor. And he's stayed in these boys' lives year after year. He's Uncle Jason. And that's why when they were ready, they said, hey, I want your help. And so now, Jesus is their shepherd. So now, Jesus is going to lead them and guide them through the valleys and the mountaintop experiences. The one they cannot see who is invisible, yet they love him and they believe in him and have decided to put their hope and trust in him. I'm so inspired by that example. As we close this morning, I ask you this. What is your hope in? Is it money? Is it your career? Is it your family? Is it relationships? Is it education? Is it achievement? Is it your spouse? Is it this world? What is your hope in? Remember in this proverb, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Proverbs 13, 12. Put your hope in Jesus, and with him, we will overcome racism, we will overcome white privilege, we will overcome anything else that this world throws at us, because we're following Jesus, the one who's overcome it all, the one who told us, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is our hope. As we prepare to take communion together, let's remember, Jesus is our hope. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us this time today. Lord, I pray that we do take time to think about what is our hope in. 
And Father, if it's not in Jesus, how do we get it back? God, help us get back into your word and meditate on it and to really just be filled with joy because we get to have a relationship with you. We get to be forgiven. We get your Holy Spirit. We get your church. We get to be a part of your kingdom. But God, that we get to know you. We get to look forward to being with you one day. And Father, as we think about your son, thank you for his willingness to not only lead us and guide us, but he was willing to lay down his life. As we take this bread and juice that represents the blood and body of Jesus Christ, help us do it with gratitude in our hearts and an attitude that says thank you. And that, Lord, we will continue to be on this battlefield doing your will for as long as you allow us to be or till you call us home. Thank you so much for this time together today. We love you. We thank you. And we pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.